Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, January 4th. Coming up, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 is exploding across the U.S. and in Kansas City. We'll hear from a leading doctor at a major local hospital on how you can protect yourself. And advocates and volunteers who count homeless people each January know they're missing a bunch of people living off the grid. There's still a lot of people that are not going to want us to survey them. The trust and the faith is so far gone. They don't want to be found. They want to be left alone. How Kansas City is trying to make sure more homeless people get the services they need. But first, some headlines. Demand for COVID-19 tests is soaring in Kansas and Missouri, but there's still not enough supplies to track the Omicron surge. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. The Missouri Health Department says that its testing capacity has been strained due to high demand during the winter holidays. State officials say they're expanding on-site testing this week and have resumed offering free at-home test kits for residents. In Kansas, 62% of COVID tests are currently positive, which is among the highest rates in the country. And state officials also reported high testing demand during the holidays. Missouri's positivity rate stands at 21%. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt has dropped his lawsuit against Jackson County over its mask mandate. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. Schmidt quietly dismissed the lawsuit last week. Chris Newell, a spokesman for Schmidt, said the reason was that the county had voted to lift its, quote, illegal mask mandate, unquote, late last year. But Newell said Schmidt would sue the county again if the situation changes. Jackson County legislators in mid-December voted 5-4 to not to reinstate the county's mask mandate. Schmidt had sued county, cities, and school districts throughout the state, claiming their mask mandates aimed at curbing the spread of COVID-19 are illegal. The case against Kansas City is still pending. The Omicron variant of COVID-19 is everywhere, and it's starting to make up a higher proportion of cases in the Kansas City area. Local health officials have warned for weeks that the variant is about to overwhelm hospitals, but local governments have made few moves to mitigate the spread of the virus. Dr. Dana Hawkinson is an assistant professor and the medical director for infection prevention and control at the University of Kansas Health System. He joined KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date to talk about the latest on Omicron, new isolation guidelines, and vaccines. COVID is on the march again, and health officials continue to struggle to make sense of new COVID-19 isolation and quarantine guidelines from the CDC. We're going to talk about that now, and we'll run down the latest on booster shots for 12 to 15-year-olds. New guidance on that is expected this week as well. Joining us once again to run all of this down is Dr. Dana Hawkinson. He's an assistant professor and the medical director for infection prevention and control at the University of Kansas Health System. Dr. Hawkinson, thanks for taking the time. Much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I've been hearing now that this new variant, Omicron, is so contagious that even limited contact with someone who's infected can lead to you getting infected. Six feet of separation may no longer be the benchmark. Is that the case? Do we know that yeah. that's that's true? 
I mean, I think there are different things. I think when you talk about contagiousness, you just have to understand what are the other human factors. And we know behavior plays a large part. I mean, the way that contagiousness is going from every variant, it's almost as if you just say the, the variant name, Omicron, and you get it. So I, I think we have to realize what are the properties of the virus? How are the properties of the virus change? What do we mean by more contagious? Is it more fit? Does it bind to those receptors easier? We still know and understand those basics of infection prevention, and that is masking helps reduce the chance of infection. Distancing helps reduce the chance of infection. So I think those are important. Also, we know that uh, vaccination and boosters do actually reduce the chance of infection, uh, especially in that first few months after that, that dose, whether it's the booster or the second dose. It does drop off from there. But I think those are the important things to remember. More than anything, it's really human behavior. What are you doing? How are you putting yourselves in those riskier situations where we know that the chance of infection is greater. So how concerned are you then about where we're heading into this new year? I mean, for vaccinated people, I feel very good. What we have known and what we have seen throughout all these variants is that they are really the same. They cause the same clinical spectrum of disease. We know that you might have a higher risk of hospitalization with Delta as compared to the original ancestral Wuhan strain or with alpha. We see now maybe you have a reduced risk of hospitalization with Omicron compared to Delta, but really these viruses are essentially the same. Their properties are the same. They may have uh, some different nuance uh, in the way they infect and their ability to cause you to go to the hospital, but really the clinical spectrum of disease is the same. And to go along with that, we know protection from the vaccines is the same. And those people that have gotten their vaccine doses, that have gotten their boosters, are going to have a significantly reduced chance of going to the hospital and going to the ICU than those that are unvaccinated. I think the real message continues to have to be these vaccinations will save your life. They will reduce your risk of those complications mm -hmm. that we've talked about, hospitalization, ICU, ventilators, all that. Well, let's talk about booster shots for a moment. So many Americans haven't gotten them, doctor. 62% of Americans qualify as fully vaccinated under the CDC's current definition, mm -hmm. but just a third of those folks have also gotten a booster. Why are the booster numbers yeah. dragging the way they are? I think it's a combination of things, weariness, maybe some of mandates where you just needed those two doses and you don't want to Get another vaccine dose if you don't have to. There's probably, and I believe there's still misinformation going on. You know, I think it is important to, to get that booster dose because in that time from your last dose of vaccine till you get that booster dose, the important thing to remember is your immunity is evolving. Your B cells are evolving to create those antibodies to, towards variants you haven't even seen yet. Your T cells are continuing to evolve. When you get that booster dose, you then allow those T cells and B cells, which have evolved, to get that boost and to expand to create further protection for you from creating more antibodies to also expanding that T cell response. And I think the important thing is that we saw that you still have good T cell response in early South African data for those people that got vaccinated with two doses. 
Um, you still have good T-cell response to Omicron, but when you can get that boost, you boost that response even better to help reduce your chance of going to the hospital. I wanted to ask you about the CDC's new quarantine, gui- quarantine guidelines yeah. that are mm-hmm. causing so much controversy. They've yeah. cut in half the recommended time yeah. for staying away from others, doctor. The new guidelines allow yeah. for people who test positive for COVID to leave isolation after five days yeah. if their symptoms are gone or getting better, so long as they wear masks for another five days. What's your reaction yeah. to these guidelines? You know, I think it does get confusing. I think the messages get confused. Yeah. Get, get confusing as well. I think it's important exactly what you said. If you are asymptomatic, if you have no symptoms, but if you get a little sniffle, you get a cough, that's a symptom now. And if you develop that in those five days, you probably need to be home then until your symptoms are improving just like you said at the latter part of that statement as well. So it's not just a blanket. If you test positive, you can go out in five days. You have to remember some of those details. And and I don't disagree with you. It can be confusing and people need to go read that. If they have questions, talk with your your medical provider, talk with your health department, really get a handle on what the best or most appropriate thing is to do because, you know, one of the reasons we saw them do that was also, and when I say they, the CDC, uh, is to help people get back into work sooner, but in that safest or, or optimal way as possible to help, again, reduce the spread. Uh, do you disagree with what the CDC came out with? I think it's important to note that the, the best evidence, and again, it's not necessarily with Omicron, but it is with other the variants. It includes vaccinated and unvaccinated people. It includes evidence going all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic. What we have seen is that you are certainly most contagious in those one, two, maybe three days prior to symptoms when you don't even know you have it to those one to two days after symptoms start. So that is essentially a five days. Mm-hmm. And after that, the viral load does go down naturally as your body's immune system starts to kick in and you become uh, replicating less virus, then you express less virus into the environment at that point. And so that is what a lot of the data is built on. They have tried to combine that now with the, uh, I, I guess, the business or the economic issue of staff shortages. Again, they are trying to be thoughtful and trying to keep people at work, but also try to reduce that chance that you are going to spread it. Also, I think what we know and understand is that 80% of the infections come with come from 20% of the people. And so there is a dichotomy in who is exactly spreading into who and, and how easy it is to spread uh, in that one person versus another person. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking with Dr. Dana Hawkinson of the University of Kansas Health System. Coming up, how Kansas City is using new technology to help homeless residents. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. 2021 was a huge year for KCUR Studios podcasts. This is the people's history of Kansas City. This is Hungry for Mo. Hey, Kansas City. You're listening to Real Humans by Gina Kaufman. This is Kansas City Today. Support the podcasts of 2022 by donating at kcur.org slash give. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Volunteers across the country fan out every January to count the number of people experiencing homelessness in their communities. It's called the point-in-time count, but it's widely known to be inaccurate. KCUR's Laura Ziegler reports Kansas City is one of a few cities trying to change that. 
Some 40 or so tents are set up on a grassy hill at 10th and Harrison, overlooking the sun-bathed skyline of downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Some are worthy of a camping store commercial. Others are a patchwork of plastic pieces being hammered back into the ground after gale-force winds nearly blew the camp away. Nellie McCool knows many of the residents here. She considers them her friends. Hi, Carney. Yeah, I've known Carney for a while. McCool is a no-nonsense 31-year-old mother of two working with Creative Innovative Entrepreneurs. That's a nonprofit that has a contract with the city to do outreach for the houseless. She's also the founder of Free Hot Soup KC, and she says they have thousands of volunteers that do just this sort of street outreach. He was yeah. he he's known Free Hot Soup and I've been out here 12 years. Here here 12 years? I've been out here 12 years. Really? On the street. Yeah. I don't know if that's choice or... No, like, I've been trying to, like, I don't know. You don't have a phone right now, right? Nope, it broke. Having no means of contact is just one of the reasons it's very hard for caseworkers to keep track of folks like Carney. Also, he comes and goes from these camps, but he prefers the security of a roof and four walls. I stay uh, in a bando. In a... A bando. A bando, vaco, vacant building, abandoned building. Yeah. I move around... He moves around, carny, like carnival. He moves around. (laughs) McCool estimates that some 30% of the unsheltered people in Kansas City are transient by choice. Not because they like life on the streets, they say, but because they feel the social service agencies patronize them and dehumanize them. They just decide they'd rather live with members of their own community. They don't want to be found. They don't want to be helped. They want to be left alone. There are still camps yet that are so well hidden that We may never find them. That's why she and others bristle over what they think is misinformation in the news coverage of each year's survey of the homeless population. Surveys to get the point in time count of Kansas City homeless. 2019 point in time count, which tallied up 2000. The point in time homeless count. The count is used by the federal government to decide how much money communities should receive to fund their programs that serve homeless people. Markeo Watson is the executive director of the Kansas City Coalition to End Homelessness. That's the area's lead agency dealing with the issue. And she says the inaccurate count directly affects the work they're able to do. And everyone in the community relies upon that. I mean, we have tons of requests for information about our point in time and who was counted. But everyone knows the count consistently underestimates the need. Kansas City is among the first of a few cities to pioneer a new mobile app that allows outreach workers to feed information about their clients all year long into a database, providing a more granular profile of houseless people in their communities. Do they have friends or relatives they'd like to connect with? Do they ever stay in shelters? Or are there certain questions that are triggers? Demographics are one thing, but really, you know, what happened in their life that contributed and led to the point where they're at now and what can we do to get them lifted up out of homelessness and into housing? Matt Simmons is the president of SimTech Solutions. That's the company that created the app. He says when individuals give permission, their information will be fed into a database. And the hope is that this will lead to more effective policies and better use of resources. We found a lot of people were living in their cars or vans. We could bump up the resources and say, let's have a sanctioned parking right. lot. What, what else did you ask for? Ibuprofen? Thank you. Thank you. Tylenol. 
Nellie McCool has been bringing supplies to this spot near downtown since July, when the city ended a three-month hotel residency for houseless people. But Michael Encino, a towering six-foot-six man with a booming voice, says he's been counted as part of this annual survey in the past, but now he's tired. And no one cares about how we live or if we should live or die. Oh, let me rephrase that part. They care about if we die, but they don't care about if we live. If this new technology works, it might help Kansas City funnel resources into what Encino and others say would really help, converting some of Kansas City's vacant buildings into affordable housing. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Ziegler. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Laura's story on homelessness or our coverage of COVID-19 in the region, visit kcur.org, where you can also hear a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 with your thoughts. Tomorrow, we'll hear what one city in Missouri has learned 10 years after a major disaster. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.